Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Podcast listeners, welcome again to Making Data Simple and Happy New Year. You know, the, the problem with podcasting is that you record and then you know, maybe a few weeks later, you actually release. So I don't know when this is going to be released. It's probably a little bit more towards the end of January. But the timing of this recording is, what, January 5th. So anyway, a belated Happy New Year to all of you. I hope you had a fantastic 2021. I thank you for listening to us. We were recently voted top 35 data podcast by uh, GraphX, which I appreciate. They can give us top one next time if they'd like. But uh, I, I do appreciate the, the recognition. Uh, personally, I cannot believe it's 2022. Again, I wish you all success. For me, every time I, you know, we turn over a new year, it's a good good means to start over. And that's everything from tossing email to resetting business strategy to, to laying out my life plan for 2022. And yes, I took the time to do that. My coach would be proud. That's actually why I have a coach, see? She makes me do the things that you say, boy, you'd like to do, but you never get to. Uh, so I would challenge you all to lay out your values, your mission statement, what your bucket list is, your empty energy vampires. Yes, it's a thing. Everybody has them, and it's good to put them down and figure out how do you counter those. And if you're looking for some tips on how to start the new year, check my latest post on LinkedIn. It's actually a repost from 2020, but I'd be curious as to your feedback into what works for you. I always have a theme for every year. Last year, my theme was resiliency, pandemic, and everything else that was going on. This year, it's to be intentional. And for me, that is... Um, living your values. I mean, it's not like I don't live my values, but you get busy. So what I'm trying to do this year is do a better job of asking, hey, is this worth it? Is I check my calendar? Is Are these the things that I want to be doing? Socrates said, famously said, beware the bareness of a busy life. Uh, and that stuck with me as I go into 2022. I'm going to beat Michael. I'm going to introduce you now, and I'm going to ask you uh, what your theme is. So I'll give you a heads up what your theme is for 2022. But on the program today, Without further ado, I've been talking too much, is my guest, Michael Haas. He is the CEO and founder of Plant Jammer. Plant Jammer is a five-year-old food tech startup that uses AI to help people cook. They're a team of 15 data scientists and chefs based in Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, their app, Plant Jammer, is used by, what, 200,000 people globally? And the widgets and API have more than 20 customers among food brands and, and retailers. This was founded in 2016 by Michael, who was formerly a McKinsey consultant. I have to talk to you about that, too, as I've been doing some services of my own. And it does have an IBM connection where I am. I don't often mention IBM in the podcast, uh, but we do have a lot of IBMers. The technology won the IBM Watson AI Prize for 2018, so I need to talk about that. Not to mention there's all other kinds of uh, recognition. I think it was Creative Business Cup 2018, Green Entrepreneur of the Year Award by Veggie World, many others. Wow. I, I tell you, Michael, thank you for reaching out. This is a, a very interesting discussion. I'm going to turn it over to you. Be self-serving here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what's your experience, and what brings you to us. Absolutely. Al. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so yeah, Michael, uh, as you just heard, I mean, you said it better than I ever could. Uh, but I'm the CEO and founder of, of Plant Jammer. I decided after, you know, working in, in McKinsey consultancy, working a lot with energy and agriculture, working on the topic of sustainability, I decided that actually food is something interesting. 
because within food, we have an ability, all of us, to actually make a difference on a daily basis. And unlike energy, for instance, you don't need you know, infrastructure projects or big capital or regulation for that matter. It's just you and your habits. And that's really powerful. So, so we decided to go down a pathway where we're using AI and some of the best tools we can find out there to make it easier to cook something that is uh, good for your health and good for the planet at the same time. Um, so that's what we decided to do. And we've been doing that for six years, building a team, getting great investors on board, fantastic customers. I'm loving my days just talking both to my customers and my investors and uh, building uh, the kind of future we want to see. I don't know if there is a, this is not a word, but a funner job than food, is there? I mean, no, you can I... put technology with food. That's like the best. I agree. I like to say that um, when I started working with food, it's like it's like getting a tattoo. Like it will never wear off. Like I will be working with food for the rest of my life because it's it's such an interesting space that combines culture, biology, physics, chemistry, data. It really has uh, even mental health because think about it, we're looking into screens all day and and there's one time of the day where we're actually using our senses for sure and not just thinking conceptually, and that's when we cook and eat. So it's a super powerful space. I'm, I'm with you. And yes, we look at screens all day. That's the problem in of itself. Hopefully, I don't know if that's ever going to change in the nearable future. But anyway, let me back up for a second. You in Copenhagen? Is that where you're at right now? Exactly, Copenhagen. Are all your team out of Copenhagen, Denmark? So actually, that's changed over the course of COVID because uh, we are uh, we, we started off all being in Copenhagen, even though a lot of people were actually from all over Europe, but they studied in Copenhagen. And that's where we met and built the team. Then COVID happened and uh, people decided to, you know, I might as well work from where I'm from. And uh, and we learned that that worked really well. So we have quite a remote working team now. So we have uh, all across Europe from like uh, southern Spain uh, up to the most northern is actually Copenhagen. So did the pandemic just spread everybody out? They went back home or is that how it, it kind of happened or? Exactly. So we started working remote, right? And then we learned that that worked just fine. And then the moment we started working remote, people who were like from Prague, they said, why don't I go to my parents and work from there? And then they realized that worked fine. And then they found a flat there. And then suddenly things just, you know, turned out to be fine. And we decided even now with 17 people, we decided to actually stop the lease of our office just now in January. Because why have an office for only five people using it when there's 15 people in the team? So uh, for that reason, we decided to really go all full in on remote, spend all our resources on good home offices and work that way. Nice. So uh, saving a lot of cash too, I presume then. We are reinvesting the same cash. So I'm actually labeling that cash. So it's used for getting good home offices and have a monthly event where we gather the team around important strategic topics uh, physically. Spending the same money, but just reallocating them to a new world. Makes perfect sense. All right. When I started the podcast, you heard my theme for 2022. It's to be intentional. What's your theme? Oh, that's, uh, that's a tough one here. I think for me, it's, it's very much about, uh, I guess, on the topic of your last year, I'm a year behind. I think um, resilience is an important one. I think uh, mental health is, is super important. Uh, I meditate daily. I Here in, in Copenhagen, I winter bathe, so I jump in the cold water uh, as much as I can. I want to keep those habits up and running and keep the practice. And that's really the, the core thing, to, to stay mindful. Somebody has to teach me how to meditate. I just close my eyes and fall asleep. Does that count? <laughs> I'm not sure that that's meditation. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not good at it. I want to, I seriously, I'm joking about it, but I want to learn. Yeah. There's something I'm missing out here. So somebody needs to teach me this. Do you have any resolutions for 2022? Are you a resolution guy? 
I'm actually not a resolution guy. I uh, I like to uh, create good habits all the time, and I change them on a monthly basis. I'd say on what sort of the core topic. Uh, so I haven't done one for this year in particular. Don't you find it fun to kind of clean things up and say, "All right, here's what we're going to do this year." To kind of change, it's like a change agent in some sort. It's no? a great conversation, I think, to have definitely for New Year's Eve with your friends about what would you, is really important for you next year and, and jot that down. But I think you should have that conversation every month because right. the world changes and your habits change and some things slip and some things work well. So I like to actually have a monthly re- resolution rather than a yearly one. And for this particular month of, of January, it really is about the meditation practice and, and, and getting that up and, up and running again uh, to, to every day. See, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I need to start a meditation practice. I need to, I need to figure this out. I, I really do. Anyway, Kate, you can, you, our producers listening in, you, you got to help me with this because you're like the professional around meditation. I love meditation, man. It, it refills the bucket and gives you, refills your battery and gives you that creative charge to go forward and look at things differently. And I, and I love the thought concept of revisiting resolutions on a monthly basis. I think it's just great and not surprising from somebody who has gone into the food space, which is universal. And is I loved the comment you made earlier about something that is intrinsic to us that we can make a difference to the planet on a daily basis. So, yep, I'm pretty much all in on Michael right now. On, well, one more on thing meditation. on meditation. We can only go downhill from here, I guess, then. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing on meditation, just in my learning, multiple times a day, once a day, any a set time. How do you guys any influence I mean, there? You guys? Whatever works for you, it's like like every any practice really. And what I, I used to be told is that if you're in a really good sort of mental state, then it's good to meditate at least once a day, at least twenty minutes. Uh, if you're in a really bad mental state, it's good to meditate at least once a day, at least twenty minutes. <laughs> I got it. At least once a day, twenty minutes. I'm at ten minutes a day, and I'm fine with that as well. That's what I can do these days with an eleven-month-old son, and and trying to make that those ends meet at the same time. So whatever works for you, and and you know, one minute is better than zero minutes. That's kind of the, the, the that is so true. One minute is better than zero minutes, and even if it is, even if you call meditation, sitting there deep breathing for one minute, you are still ahead of the game. Yeah, Even when you take a nap, Al, it's okay. You can call it meditation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever it takes to be meditating. You know, so that's, that's the important part. Philosophy, actually, I used to always put like time frames to everything. Now I don't. Like I, if I go to, I'll just put, play guitar today. Just pick it up for a minute. Because it always ends up being more than a minute. But if I do that, I don't feel compelled. I'm like, oh, I don't have time and stuff. So you pick it up for a minute. Same thing with you're saying in meditation. All right. Look, you said food is interesting. I think food is very interesting. I also read that, and I think this is where we'll start, and I do want to start backwards, but I'll explain that in just a minute. But 80% of people cook less than 10 different recipes per year. I read that, I think, on your site. Is that true? Yeah, it's a, it's a quite depressing statistic, isn't it? This is the case, and, and most of the people, you know, when they hear it first time, they feel like it can't be true. But then if you sit down and just jot down what you're cooking, but not, not what you could be cooking, but what you did cook, let's just say the last month, you have a lot of repetitive stuff, right? And that's what's going on. We really have the same sort of uh, tracks we keep on playing when it comes to cooking. By itself, that's fine, but it does mean we have less flexibility in the kitchen. And when we have less flexibility in the kitchen, you know, we're going to likely have more food waste because we're not going to be able to, you know, cook with that one ingredient uh, several times without making the exact same dish, which is boring. It's not going to be as easy to change habits. 
towards more healthy food or more sustainable foods, just because we don't have the repertoire. That's sort of the core premise of what we do is how do we increase cooking confidence and the versatility of what you can make? Because if you have that sort of toolbox, you're going to be fine. But sadly, 80% of people, they cook less than 10 different recipes per year. But here's the way I would, well, it would initially strike me 10 different recipes a year. On one hand, you're right. I would imagine <laughs> the unhealthy recipes that taste good would surface to the list and you're going to repeat those, which is not good. On the other hand, if you had 10 different recipes, you think you'd get efficient with those recipes so you wouldn't have as much food waste. You're not seeing that happen? The problem here is that we also do just by evolution, we've learned to love diversity, right? Because it's good for us to eat different things, different tastes, different flavors. So for that reason, the problem becomes that, you know, if I only know one, perhaps two dishes that has carrot at the centerpiece of it, and I have carrots in my fridge, and, you know, I don't feel like one of those one, two dishes, I'm not going to use the carrots. I'm going to go down and buy something else in the supermarket and cook that instead, and then the carrots are going to go bad. So the lack of diversity basically means that when you combine that with the fact that we want diversity in, 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 the, in what we eat, means that we're not going to use what we have in front of us as much. The core sort of issue here uh, is a behavioral one, right? It's the fact that, you know, we cook on a daily basis, hopefully. And every time we cook, we're basically making that ski slope. We're getting a little bit further down that ski slope and it gets harder to get up from it. Reinforcing habits all the time. It's one of those things that are extremely hardly ingrained how we how we cook um so changing that habit getting out of the ski slope and getting beyond the 10 is a, it's a tough call and it's something that needs more than the tools that are available out there today we believe and then you inherit it too i mean so much of cooking is inherited and so much of cooking is also being willing to take the risk because what if i don't like the dish what if it my family doesn't like the dish what if my 11 month old doesn't want to eat the dish there's it's just high it feels so high stakes and so then when you find things that oh my gosh finally i'm going to eat it it doesn't take too long everybody's going to eat it it's totally convenient to stick with that and it is really hard to make make those changes yeah and that's that's exactly so that's the interesting part is uh, we all feel that we're afraid of failing uh, in the kitchen at the same time when you look back how many times have we really failed at a at a meal almost never right but but it just we we get very risk averse in this space which is a bit sad and this is also the reason why we call uh, our comedy plant jammer like jammer is from jam sessions and jazz right it's the whole idea here is that you shouldn't be perfectionist you should know some basic rules like you have know that your notes in a jazz uh, tune, and then from those basic notes you can freestyle, you can jam, and that's exactly the kind of skill set we want to build in, in 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 cooking. And how AI is helping us along the way of getting the core notes ready, so that you can freestyle around them. So it's plant jammer. Are you a vegetarian? Uh, I am a vegetarian myself, uh, but uh, but our products are not necessarily vegetarian. So you can you can cook with that. We're nudging towards more plant based, but. I don't believe that everyone needs to be vegetarian or vegan, but if uh, if people can, you know, eat one more plant-based meal a, a week, they've done something good for both themselves and the planet, and, and that's a good thing. And by the way, they taste great if you know what to do <laughs> with those plants. So so why not, right? So yeah, uh, that is uh, the plant is is the nudge uh, towards something sustainable, something green. Um, and yes, I personally am vegetarian. So we all ultimately get to the data and the, the technology here. But as we're diving down, I, I thought, I, like I mentioned earlier, I wanted to start backwards. And by that, I mean, Kate turned me on to a press release that you provided 
that was out there, but it was actually a future press release. It was like an ambition. Like if I wrote my press release, I don't know, you'll have to tell us, but I guess it did say 2024. And you talked about like helping 200 million people cook more varied and more sustainable food, blah, blah, blah. I wanted you to start with that in terms of, all right, is this your ambition in, in 2024? That is that why you wrote it? And could you talk about what you wrote and what it meant to you? Yeah. So, so first of all, this is this is a, an idea I totally stole from Jeff Bezos and Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Have the, the whole idea of, of uh, writing a press release up front of, of the product you're building. It gets you to really think through how would we like to to this look four or five years down the road, how we formulate it, and then you can work backwards. What what do I need to do today? So that's why we do this. This is generally how we build products and how we think of our vision is write the press release up front uh, that we would like to see in four years. And then, you know, we can start laying the bricks to get there. I started Planjammer five years ago saying at some point uh, we want to touch a billion people. Like we want to have impact how a billion people eat. Doesn't have to be direct, but at least indirectly have done that impact. Uh, so, and, and that guides the way we make decisions. So we don't just focus on niches, we're focusing on things that can help uh, the mainstream and moving. That's also why we're not vegetarian necessarily. You know, we just like to nudge in that direction because we want to impact that many people. And then you can, you know, drive backwards from the 1 billion saying, what do we want to do at a time? And, and yeah, we have the, the 200 million by uh, 2024 at this point. I noticed there are no like revenue targets in that ambition you just laid out. Is that intentional? Absolutely. Uh, the, the whole principle uh, of how we operate is impact first and revenue will follow. If we have impact on people's lives, if people are having us as a daily routine for how they cook, we're going to find a way to monetize that. And we're finding ways to monetize that. But as long as we have enough people that are being impacted positively by, by what we do, I have no, no doubt that we can, we can also find a commercial model around it. So obviously we have commercial targets behind, but that's not part of a press release and it shouldn't be the central sort of uh, tenet of, of, of what we do. The central tenet is, is impact and, and then money will follow. Makes sense. Uh, noble cause too. All right. So how does the company focus on reducing food waste? and using data to drive uh, your ambition? The core principle of what we do is to say people want to do the right thing, right? So people, they want to, you know, not have food waste in their home. People want to eat more healthy. People want to cook more. These things people want to do. So we don't need to preach. What we need to do is to give people the tool set and, uh, and sort of the, uh, yeah, the skills so that they can do that. And, uh, and the, so we are building tools, digital tools that assist people in those choices. So uh, we have a few different products. So one is, uh, is the Plant Jammer app, uh, where the core principle there is that you can build your own uh, recipe from what you have in front of you. Basically, you learn the core principles of what is a tasteful dish. Uh, so we tag all ingredients based on what they contribute to a dish. And then we go through a gastro wheel when you build a dish. So basically, uh, there's something umami, something sour, something crunchy, something sweet. When you balance these things off, you get something really flavorful. We're guiding people in that direction by, by building dishes. That's very much for this highly sophisticated uh, sort of uh, chef out there. And then we, we have this other thing, which is called a widget, which is something we're publishing both on our own sites and on uh, retailer and brand sites, where they are guiding their people to cook with a product called Empty Your Fridge. What you do there is you type in a few ingredients that you have, then you get suggestions for dishes, 
by the way, if you filled out a few little uh, questionnaire, then we personalize everything. So we know who you are, your flavor profile, and based on that, we propose those dishes. Every dish, when you pick it, uh, you can substitute ingredients. You can add flavor pairings on top. You know, what are the best spice pairings to this? You're basically building on top of a great dish, building it and making it your own. And that's really to take that experience of opening your fridge and getting you to a really tasty meal in one go. And the whole idea is we're not publishing that through the app stores, so it's not an app by itself, but it works like an app. It's a web app. Uh, and we did it that way because our distribution channel there is through uh, food brands and retailers who publish it on their sites. Wow. By the way, you're making me hungry right now. <laughs> just, just saying, because right, I'm thinking of all the different... Anyway, I'm trying to figure out the difference between the Plant Jammer app and the widget. I mean, because originally I was going to ask you, in the Plant Jabber app, do I throw in, you know, I got 10 ingredients and then it gives me back some some food choices, some dishes I can make. But then you went into the widgets and said, oh, that's kind of the design of the widgets to be able to put the ingredients. Are both similar in that way? Tell me, I need a differentiation between the two. I think the way I would say it is the, the core sort of experience of, of emptying your fridge is, is really the, the widget. So that's, that's that one that's really focusing on that journey. Whereas when you, when you ask our power users of the Plant Jammer app, what they're doing there is they actually have their t 10 core dishes, but then they make them diverse. So they play around with them, they do different ingredients in them, and that's more for sort of more diversity in your existing cooking repertoire. Put it that way, one is for building you know, your core 10 dishes and giving diversity, and that's the app. And then the widget is really for emptying your fridge and using what you have. So the app, I could go out to the Apple App Store and I could, I could grab that. I just tried it. It is so cool. That's great. It's <laughs> really easy to use. If you in front of me, Kate, I'm going to be very upset. I, I might, <laughs> just to be rude, I might. But this is a, it's really cool. It's, it's very easy to use. It's very intuitive. It's a cool app. I like it. Thank you. And the core principles that we learned from building the app, by the way, we, that's what we brought into the widget. Because what we learned in by using just doing data analysis of three million recipes is that there are certain principles that reoccur across recipes. So a recipe is not just this purely artistic framework that just pops out from someone's brain. There's actually patterns that arise again and again. So there's always in a tasteful dish, there's certain ingredient types that are always being used. Um, and that's really what's the core of the app, where you're going through those individual sort of components that creates a flavorful dish. And, but it's also in the background in the widget that's a little bit more of a, uh, a product for more people who don't need to like know what umami is. Uh, but there it just goes through those components and fills it out for you. And then you substitute for something else, but you don't, you're not told that that is what's going on behind. But it is that core principle that's behind all of it, is that we did a lot of data learning on existing recipes, found patterns, and then use those patterns to generate completely new recipes with the same core principles. You know, I'm starting to think that eating Mexican food every day is probably not a good thing. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> it can be great. It, meant, it, it depends on what you call Mexican food, right? Because even within the Mexican cuisine, you actually have amazing diversity of both ingredients, uh, flavor profiles, and dish types and methods. So you could totally can, like, uh, you know, you make a good mole sauce and you can put that in basically any other dish and it's it has a Mexican flavor suddenly. Yeah, so, Michael, I don't think that that's what Alex said <laughs> when he was saying oh, Mexican food. I think it's more like the Taco Bell speed of Mexican food. <laughs> no, we'll no, no, no. Uh, this food has got me interested. 
No, so back to, I guess, to the data. Well, well let me back up. I, I, there was one question I wanted to make sure I asked you on the widgets. On the widgets, can anybody grab that widget or is it for public commercial consumption or, or tell us more about that? Absolutely. So you just go to plantjammer.com and you click try it for free. What you do if you do that is you're actually going to go through a little survey where we learn about what kind of flavor profile and nutrition profile you want. And then we send you a, a widget for exactly that. So you have like a personal widget right there. So yeah, it's right there. You can also just go to plantjammer.com and there's actually a little bit further down, there's actually an example of the widget. You just try it out right there. And that one works. It's actually just, even though it's on web, it is designed for mobile. So uh, put it on your phone and use it that way. So is it an app then? I mean, when I think widget, I think, you know, maybe it's an OEM, like you're going to put it into some other product, uh, but it's a self-sustaining app of its own. Yeah, it works both ways. So both, it, it works as an iframe that you can put on a website somewhere in some corner if you want. That's not what some of our clients do. But uh, it also works as a what's called a progressive web app. So it's basically an app that's sitting on a browser. And we did that because then any of our clients, you know, retailers and, and food brands can also publish it without having to go through the app stores. But yeah, it works completely like an app. You open it on your phone, uh, you click the top right corner and it's a download and then it's on your home screen and it works like, like an app. I appreciate you being here. This has been a very interesting discussion. We're going to have to keep in touch with you to, to, to see how you progress and, and what you learn using data, AI, and how it, uh, it kind of influences our food choices. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Kate. Thank you so much. Hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Please hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We'd love to hear back from you. Please rate us. It does matter. Until then, I will talk to you on the podcast. See you next time. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.